Hi everyone! Today on What's My Frame, I'm joined by award-winning filmmaker Wes Eldridge. Wes shares his journey from Los Angeles to DC, the lessons he learned working in Unscripted, and the many other hats that have made him the versatile filmmaker he is today. Wes shares some enlightening and very encouraging insight into the indie casting process from the director's perspective uniquely. He walks us through some of the lessons he's learned on his first feature, Love Dogs, as well as encouraging other young filmmakers to just write. We definitely believe in taking an active hand in your career and staying creative. West is an excellent example of surrounding yourself with a strong creative community and never giving up on your dreams. Now, let's get to the conversation. Hey Wes, thank you so much for joining us on What's My Frame today. Of course, it's great to be here. Can you start us off for anyone that's not familiar with your creative journey, mentors, different experiences that were really pivotal in your career and what brought you to current? Oh gosh, I don't even know how to answer that question because I, I don't really have like any specific mentor I could think back on. I've worked, went to school in Los Angeles, like outside Los Angeles in Ventura County and then I worked in TV for a long time, like several years in and out of narrative and reality and whatever Los Angeles has to offer, I kind of did it. So I had like, I didn't really have a mentor, but I had like, you know, a hundred people that were really good at their jobs that I got to watch and observe and try to grow from. I was, you know, a terrible PA. So I started doing more camera work and, you know, camera work led me to um, doing more photography and other stuff like that too. So it's been pretty cool. I took a job at a university out here actually doing um, film stuff for um, Christopher Newport University in, in Southern Eastern Virginia. Uh, I was really burnt out. I was working like 14 hour days on set in Los Angeles, like working kind of a lot of reality TV. Um, and I never, like I never, I didn't go out to film school to do reality TV. Yeah. So I was looking for like an avenue to just do something different for a while. And they flew me out and, you know, I really liked the uh, comms director and the team and everybody out at the university. I was like, this could be a really cool change of pace. And then I kind of just got stuck <laughs> out in Virginia for a while. I love it in Virginia. Uh, it's really, it's a really beautiful state and I live out, outside DC now. Um, but, you know, it's a different, it's a different atmosphere than, than Los Angeles, that's for sure. Very different. I grew up in Southwest Virginia. I mean, it still has a very special place in my heart, but uh, it's very different than LA for sure. Where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Roanoke. Okay. Yeah. Roanoke's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, later on, we'll talk about like your upcoming project you're filming in Virginia, which that was one of the reasons I actually wanted to have you on the show because I love Amplified. Yeah, I love dogs. The Virginia Film Office and everything that they're doing. Um, I worked on a project that filmed in Virginia back in 21 and the way that they just like rolled out the red carpet to the production and then doing like a cast screening and just the way that they rally around indie projects is really incredible. So let's go back to, so you're, you're teaching now in Virginia. I'm actually working at a creative firm okay. um, in the DC area. We have um, private and public clients that we service with commercials and design work and photography and um everything in between wow, so very much like an ad agency correct mm -hmm. yeah very much so but a lot of government clients because the area some, oh, okay. some private clients i do i do a lot of commercial recruitment stuff for different agencies i do a lot of photography for the agencies um and a lot of animation i do a lot of animation now and i'm a, I'm a whiz with after effects it's kind of how i make my money and my living Wait, I didn't hear any about animation earlier on in the origin story. When did that come about? Because that's not an easy skill set to just pick up. I've, you know, I've always been an editor. I've since okay. I've always been really good at Premiere. 
before that Final Cut Pro, Final Cut 7. Um, and then when, you know, Adobe hired the, the Final Cut Pro person to work on their platform, I switched to Premiere. And then I just got into the Adobe ecosystem. And that's how I got the job at the creative firm, because I was just really good at motion graphics and stuff. So. Okay. So you, yeah. you truly have been wearing a number of hats, which I mean, yeah. I already knew that, but there's like more that I'm even finding out about now. Okay. How do you see the market that you're working in now differing from the West Coast market? Because the industry has evolved a lot in the last couple of years with COVID and a lot of people call it one coast now, which I don't really agree with it because I think the work no. ethic and the needs are very different from East to West Coast. But what are some of the big standout differences you're seeing? It's tricky. Um, it's a lot smaller here. Uh, DC community is very small. There's some very super talented people. Um, we, we, we work pretty closely with New York. So I know like for our, our film, we're casting a lot of people out of New York, um, casting directors from New York. Um, and a lot of the work isn't narrative based. You have Nat Geo based out here, or you have Discovery. And uh, um, so a lot of the work's documentary. And it's a lot of it's government, a lot of it's recruitment, a lot of it's commercial. You have a lot of big Fortune 500 companies that are in the DC area, New York area, obviously. Yeah. Um, so you get, you get a lot of ad agencies and stuff like that. Um, but it's very small and it's hard to get in with the right people. Um, in LA, I feel like everybody's shooting every weekend. Like you can find a crew to get on, it's really easy might not pay anything, but you can at least get experience, you know. And are you all in like the DC area already hearing all of the like buzz about Netflix and New Jersey and all of that? that is yeah, I read about that. Coming, that's, really, I guess. that's really exciting. Uh, I don't know what that means. It's probably, you know, 10 years away, but uh, that's going to be really good for the area. Yeah, for sure. Who knows with Netflix money? It could be in six months. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you that's never true. know when Netflix sets their mind to something. Okay, so you have a ton of insight to different areas. We don't talk a ton about reality on this show because more of it is scripted, but I am curious if your time in reality has ever influenced you um, or helped condition you maybe to meet deadlines now as a writer, director, producer, because uh, y'all work on some crazy deadlines with reality. Yeah, no, I think if anything, reality does make you a hard worker. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, 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 I actually enjoyed the production side of reality more than I enjoyed the production side of narrative. Okay. Um, because in reality, they let you do a bunch of stuff. Like the reality, they let you like, if you're interested in cameras, they're like, why don't you just go be a camera PA for that? You know, they kind of shoot you in that direction because they need okay. the help, honestly. And they and they don't care. But if in, in narrative, you, there's no way you're going to jump in the camera crew and like start helping out, lifting up cases and stuff. It's not going to happen. Okay. But, uh, and I enjoyed that more because I, I think I, in reality, I can touch more things. You know, like I got to go to like see the editing rooms. I got to go do the, you know, take okay. tapes to different people and stuff. And that was really fun. But okay. narrative is very much like you stay in your lane. I was introduced to your work via an audition and finding love dogs. And you're also a successful writer director. So when did writing become a love and something that you were actually able to get off the ground? Because writing a feature and getting it into production is no small feat. Like that's climbing Everest in all honesty. Successful is a very nice thing. Nice way to put it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm a successful writer director. Uh, I'm a fairly successful filmmaker as, as yeah. I, it's the only thing I've done, you know? Uh, but yeah, uh, I've, I've written and directed a couple short films and they did pretty well on the festival circuit. It's been pretty cool. It was cool to go out there and see those. And 
but the goal from day one has always been to make a feature film. And that's been my goal since I was 17 years old. And it's just always been one of those things like, you know, it's really intimidating because it costs a lot of money and to do it. You can just go out and do it, uh, which we kind of are in a, in a, in a sense, um, just a lot more organized than we, we were 10 years ago. But uh, that's always been the goal. It's happening. I, I have a really good producer in the area, Corey Mason, who is a George Mason, um, weirdly enough, just, just his last name. Um, and he's he's kind of being a quasi line producer, executive producer on the film. So it's been, it's been really cool to meet people in the area that are really good filmmakers. Was the Virginia backdrop always in your mind when writing the film? Or was mm -hmm. that just a happy coincidence because that is your current backyard right now? No, yeah, no, it's um, I wrote it in Virginia. So I've been I've been out here for six years now. Um, and I wrote it here. I've I usually write like a feature a year. And so I think that year it was like, it was a pandemic year. And I was like, I just got to write. I always had like Shenandoah mountains or like West Virginia, maybe even as, as the backdrop of the film. But I knew that I couldn't go that far out and get people from like New York and stuff to come down. So we kind of like brought it a little bit closer to DC to make it more manageable. <laughs> we could cheat some things, like that kind of stuff. Obviously we can't give away too much, but what can you tell us a little bit about the story of Love Dogs? Well, it's a it's about a man who's kind of a lonely hermit. He lost his family. Um, and that's kind of revealed in the film how. And he he he's still taking care of this old farmhouse of his that he has like nestled in the in the woods mm -hmm. of Virginia. And somebody kind of somebody buys it, like a mysterious woman who reminds him of his ex. And so he kind of becomes infatuated with her a little bit. And then there's like th some thriller elements and a cop gets involved, some people die. It's you know, there's a lot, a lot of good stuff in there. Was any of this based on like a, a real experience like what, what was like what was the initial spark to starting no that? I think you know I the initial idea was um the the guy's very lonely it was a very lonely my, time in my life and so I, I really and I always empathize with those characters if you look back to my short films there they are about kind of like loneliness and depression but I, I ended up writing it in a very dark comedic sort of way because I you know project with humor um so it I think just during that pandemic area, I was like, I want to write about this guy who's looking for this sense of home again, you know? Um, and then obviously I took it in a completely different direction than I thought I was going to take it and, you know, added some twists and turns and stuff. Like I mentioned, when seeing the breakdowns, it was so evident that you had a really good relationship with the casting director, but also you can always tell the difference when you're auditioning for an indie film with a passionate writer, director, producer. You have the casting director, Amy Gossel from New York. How did you all get connected to do the film? SAG ultra low budget. And so I was looking for casting directors that would work with me. And I was like, who, because I, I, even though like we're low budget, I still like to go through the processes. Like I, yeah. I realized that, you know, I want good cast. I want some people that, you know, I can trust that can show up and they're going to put their heart and soul into it and all that. And so I knew I wanted a casting director, but finding somebody that would work on this little grassroots indie project in Virginia was really hard. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to just find anybody and so like I, I was I did like my I reached out to a lot of people um I saw that Amy did a lot of big things and a lot of little things too so I, I had a feeling that she was kind of the person who would take a chance on like a a smaller film you know and and, and she did I sent her the script and she liked it and you know she's been kind of gung-ho ever since which is really cool and she's she's also been like a really good like guiding force like taking us to the callback process and the, the cam read process we had we had like 5,000 auditions, like submits for the, the lead. And I was like, wow. I, could, I, I couldn't just sit, I didn't have time to sit through and look through them all, you know, like it, having her there was, was, was pretty huge. Walk us through the casting process because when you have 
these three very multi-layered, very rich characters, you have to find the right actor to take that on. What have you learned about the casting process and can you walk us through what you've worked with with Amy so far? Uh, I just learned that everybody's different, you know? My kind of my 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 theory is that I want to bring on somebody who gets the role, who makes the right choices, you know, and you can tell right away who kind of understands the lines and the role, makes the right choices, and um, you also want to do your diligence. And it we had five thousand uh, submits, and we probably asked several hundred of them to um, do a first round, you know, and that that we and that we did it out quick. After you see the first round, you're like, okay. They're good, but these these people are like excellent. They they get the role. They they understand what we're asking. They and sometimes it's like they bring something you didn't even think about, and then you have to think, oh crap, is this better than what what I wrote? Like, is is this person like can they make this? And sometimes that's good. Like they'll make it better, you know. And that's so I'm looking for that too. I'm looking for do they understand the choices that I'm looking for, so I, I don't have to go on set and like do like the idea with directing is they always say as a cast right you cast people that can do the job and then you show up and you get the job and you, you give them notes but you want people that you trust they, just, they could just do it you know yeah. but then you find people that just go in a completely different direction and you're like holy crap this is this is not at all how i envisioned it and then they kind of rise a little bit and you're like oh well either you're gonna make the right choices or just do something completely out of left field it's extraordinary and i'm gonna rewrite the script because like I'm gonna pitch you into it, you know. Hypothetically, these that went like super left field, had they submitted two takes? Like, was the other take very much in the vein of what you thought? Yeah. And then they took like a bold swing as like, hey, this is just a second option. Yeah, was- exactly. One option was kind of more, you know, straightforward, and the other option was kind of like, I'm gonna take this how I see it and how I want to play it, and I'm gonna improv a little bit and add some things, and then you, then their real character comes out, right? You can kind of see like what they can give to the project of the character that you didn't expect that you can work with. Um, or maybe you don't like that take either, you know, but at least you gave it a shot and you like really put that that try out there, I guess. Yeah. I mean, as an actor, that's the only time you get full control of yeah. the character. It's just like when you're, I mean, I've been a big proponent of self-tapes from before they were mandatory because I, I think it's really fun to just kind of create in your bubble and then share it. And it, it either comes back with like, yeah, we like that or it's dead silence, but you know, you're yeah. gonna, you're gonna get something back. You gotta shoot your shot. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You gotta shoot your shot. Um, so you said you're going up into chemistry reads next. Are you all doing those virtually or are you? Are yeah, you we've done everything virtually because we have a couple actors from LA, a couple from New York, most from New York. And then I'm, I'm in DC, obviously. And so it's just too hard to be everywhere all at once. Um, when we do a table read in April, the hope is to bring everybody together at least half at least the leads together uh just get in the same room before we we go into production beyond the table read are you all having like a week of rehearsals or are you guys just diving in on we we are gonna be doing one-off sessions with with the actors um probably over zoom most of it's gonna be zoom and then the table read will be it's not gonna be a table read it's gonna be a table read quasi rehearsal where we just go over everything and discuss our lines, their motivation, and, and see what works and what doesn't. And then that gives me a few weeks to work with that and kind of polish our direction there a little bit. Okay. Having worked in shorts, this is your first full-length feature, correct? Yes, yeah. What were some of the really important lessons that you learned doing short films that made you realize, like, okay, I'm ready to make that transition to taking <laughs> on a feature? Or is it just I, the ignorance is bliss of an artist? You're like, I'm I just do not think... Uh, I don't. I don't think that ever crossed my mind. I think it was always, always the goal to make a feature. 
Okay. And it's overwhelming um, and stressful and a lot of fun. Uh, but I, I don't think that you can bridge that gap so easy. I think you need to make a big project to see what it's like to be in a big project and go through those bumps and bruises and everything. Because uh, the short world is so much different. You don't even, from a screenwriting element and a directing, you know, you don't approach a short the same way you approach a feature. Like short form storytelling is an art in, in and of itself. And some people are really good at short form storytelling. I, maybe I am. I don't think so. I don't know. I, I write a lot of poems and stuff. So may, maybe they're good. But, but uh, I always saw myself as a feature screenwriter. Mm -hmm. uh, so now I, I got to try it, you know, at least once. So that was always the goal. But um, yeah, they're just two completely different mediums. And I think I think young filmmakers don't realize that, is that you have to really cater to each one differently. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, filming in Virginia, Virginia Film Office. What are some of the financial elements? Because I think indie filmmaking is something that is so underrated but also so misunderstood there's a lot of just bold bravery but like not a financial brain behind it with artists so I'm, yeah, it's, I'm kind of a, it's kind of our film <laughs> <laughs> we have a uh, we have some of the producers are putting in money into the film and that's kind of what's getting it made um but we are crowdfunding okay um so we'll be we will be crowdfunding the last 10 to fifteen thousand dollars um towards when we start production because we have enough money to get into production we we're going to struggle when it comes to, and this is where the artist element comes in where we don't have, you know, we don't have big investors and stuff, but we're going to struggle when it comes to music licensing, mm. um, dialogue mixing, all, all the little things that people don't think about that we thought about. And we're like, crap, we got to get that money. So a lot of our, a lot of our crowdfunding campaign is going to go to post-production costs, you know, post-sound, um, music licensing, composer, that kind of stuff. Um, and luckily, I already have a few relationships with with some composers and stuff, and they're super talented, and they're gonna they're gonna work with me. But um, yeah, those little things people don't think about, like oh, I can get my I can get my project in the can, but then I have a million other things I have to pay for afterwards. Is we realize we have those things, and that's kind of our our, our second phase, I guess. We, it's getting getting funds for that. I mean, at least you're thinking about that before you start shooting. A lot of people like yeah. finish it, <laughs> and they're like, oh crap, how do we actually get it? finished so what is the end goal are you all trying to get it onto a streaming platform or what is what's the vision for oh, yeah. distribution would be the end goal um mm -hmm. obviously we're going to do a festival run but the goal mm -hmm. would be to get it distributed somehow um mm -hmm. we have you know we are, i'm also a big fan of self-distribution if if it needs to be i um you can there's a lot of things you could do with hiring a digital marketing uh, producer for your film and we have somebody in mind that could come on and help build an email list and help, you know, get our name out there. And, you know, when the time, because when a push comes to shove to try to get um, streaming sales, you know, and try to try to push your your film in front of people that are going to actually rent your your project. And that's some, sometimes people don't realize that you, not every film was going to get distributed. Not every film is going to get on Netflix or Hulu. Since every film's not going to, you're not going to get into Sundance most likely. So you kind of have to like take it amongst yourself to figure out uh, how to get people to watch it. And so a lot of people are bringing on, uh marketing distributing producers and stuff into their team early on and okay. so we kind of have that plan as a as a plan b now i don't know much of anything about that world i have a lot of friends that have gone the route of trying to sell an idea i myself have gone that route of like trying to sell and pitch to streaming but have did that you route. all try that with <laughs> the dogs or you always knew you wanted to make the film first and then take it out to sell it i so I, I've made, I've written, 
with writing partner and myself, I've probably written 12 feature screenplays. And I've done the, I've had agents read, I've had managers read, I've had Wes, Wes Cravens, when he was alive, his manager reached out to us to read one of our scripts. And it circled around for a little bit, and then it went nowhere. And then, you know, I've done competitions where I've been a semifinalist, and then it got nowhere. <laughs> like, all, all of the stuff. Oh, that and sounds so, like, familiar. <laughs> I, just, I just do not care about asking people permission to go shoot anymore. Like, that's kind of where it came from, is, like, I have my my good friend, Kenny, who's a DP. I have my friend, Corey, who's a producer. Like, what's we have a screenplay. What Let's put it together, guys. So that sort of thing. And also, I feel like you get to make the film you wanted to make versus yes. trying yes. to make it to a specific vehicle or, or platform. So let's go back to auditions for just a second. You were talking about people like standing out, but I'm curious, actors so often don't understand the different roles depending on if it's like TV versus film versus ND, who's watching their tapes. Um, so obviously Amy did like the first pass and like the associates and assistants in her office, but when they got to you, as a viewer, like how did you absorb the tapes? How did you watch through them and, and just take in the the auditions and anything that stood out to you beyond like the people that made those really bold choices? I'm sure the actors would love to hear. Yeah, I mean, it was just a mix of people and everybody was so different. Um, I probably watched, I might be exaggerating 100 now, but you know, <laughs> but it was quite a bit. It was, it was definitely in the dozens or whatever. And uh, I probably watched them all through each four or five times before I, you know, really had, like, I, I definitely had favorites, but I wanted to, like, go back and make sure I wasn't missing stuff. Um, oh. And then, like, I was like, all right, they're my favorite for a reason. And, and, and the reason why I did that is because they start blending together, because you have, like, you start watching a lot of them in a row. And you're like, okay, I really like that person, but I like this person. And then now you're like, are they all kind of the same, you know? And then you had to give it a day, give your, and you had to give yourself like a, a bridge and you come back and they kind of do it in reverse order. Um, and then you, then by then you clearly have like five or six favorites and it, it's pretty easy to narrow down from there. Nothing else, which there is other good points here, but I know that there's so many actors right now that are like listening in their car and they're like, our tapes do get watched because that's such a, a common thing that, you know, actors don't know. They're like sending these tapes yeah, out. It, they don't know. It's beyond and that, it's like, and then I'll I'll pick out my favorites and I'll send them to Corey and Wendy and the crew, and I'll send I'll send them to the the wardrobe stylist, you know, and she, I'll ask her what she thinks because I'm you know friends with her, and I'll get people's opinions on you know our favorites and Amy's favorites, and I kind of like to make it a team effort too. And obviously, I'll be like, well, oh, I'm gonna go with my choice, but but usually, I usually I I, 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 hear I, try get, I try to get a consensus to make sure like I'm not yeah. crazy, you know. Yeah. Uh, so so that happens too so it's not only is amy watching them i'm watching them and many other people on, on the crew and team are watching them too wow usually i mean i hope everybody's doing that that's what, that's what we did <laughs> i mean i i think more often than not people are watching the tapes they are sharing them i think it's it's more of a an actor's insecurity when sometimes things are quiet for a period of time you start thinking like maybe no one's watching them and and then you get I think one of the worst things that actors can do is to listen to other actors because I think nerves and insecurity, they like feed on each other. Like, I don't think that that's a good idea. Um, and anyway, I mean, it's something to think about too, is like, we, and I feel for actors and I'm not, you know, I respect actors so much because I can't do their job, you know? And I think, and I think that's, and I think that's why I watch it so much because I know that like, 
I feel bad if somebody really wants to roll and they can't get it, you know, and just because they got, and usually you get bypassed for stupid reasons. It's like, it's not always a thing you did right or wrong. Sometimes it's just like little things like you're, you're a little too short for our tall actor or, you know, or like, like just things you don't think about. And we're like, well, we have a, we're trying to match people too and chemistry and all this other stuff. And will this person match with that person? Sometimes, sometimes it's like diamonds in the rough fall through, you yeah. know, and people who are really good just don't get the job, not because they're not great, just because like, you're just not exactly right for this particular moment in this particular project. And, and keep in mind, we're like, if it takes a long time, we had, we're filling 15 roles and we're usually doing it simultaneously. And um, there's callbacks and chem reads and the holidays and everything's, yeah. everything's going on at the same time. So I do feel bad. And I, we try to get back to it as many people as we can, but it's, is it a lot? There's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, thus far in pre-production, what has been the, biggest hurdle or biggest stressor to you getting the film made pre-production i say locking all of the locations and props and things like that like i i, I trust the actors that we're, we're looking at are are going to deliver uh, it's just that when you're working on location for a low budget film in a place like warrington virginia for example like um it is a lot of like you're looking at like a lot of different little places that aren't used to you filming there so we had a we had a really good great like we had a really great exterior location and but like you know just like like a month ago they decided they didn't want us there anymore um and they didn't really give us a good reason and so obviously like like we got to go look for a new location like tomorrow you know and so we spent like in the last you know three weeks just like looking for new locations and and you had already walked through it and yeah we had already. Like had you know, in there, met, you know, met the, the owners and like seen the exteriors and like kind of fell in love with it a little bit. And then like, you know, things happen in other people's lives and, and sometimes the owners don't want, you know, 30 people stomping through their home. And I, I get that. But uh, yeah, things like that are always going to stress me out because I'm very much like I want to book six months before we shoot. <laughs> you know, I want to like I want to know it's good. I want to be able to visit the set. I want to, you know, that kind of stuff um, just so I can like it helps me to like to visualize I guess to, to know what I'm, I'm dealing with and what location I'm dealing with yeah now you have already shared like you try to write a feature a year which that's impressive in and of itself and where this story kind of came from and the headspace you were in to be productive what advice would you have for young writers that just don't know where to start like classes or books or is there anything that you have advice that you I mean, wish you had known when you were a younger writer just right I mean yeah if you're struggling it depends on what you're struggling with if you don't understand structure then pick up a you know one of those screenwriting structure books that you take it or leave it to will get you there you know um but you just gotta write whether it be short stories or poems or any sort of fiction uh, as long as you're writing you're gonna get better um but if you want to do feature screenplay writing the only way to get better is to knock them out and then have people give you notes and then get your feelings hurt and then do it again and if you get your feelings here and want to do it again, then you're probably a writer. And so that's good for you. So I'm assuming with some of these features that you have written, you've gotten your feelings hurt and those ideas have just been shelved till a later date. Oh, I mean, I, I, I probably haven't even read some of the ones like I've, I've ran five, six, seven years ago, but uh, I'm sure, yeah, like I've, you know, uh, just living in LA and trying to get people to read your stuff and act in your stuff. Like it's, uh, you, it's good to have thick skin and sometimes it takes a few years to get there, but Oh yeah. Uh, if younger writers want to write, then you just got to write. There's nothing, there's nothing stopping you. It's like the cheapest thing you can do is like sit, sit at a computer and type sure. at a keyboard. Yes, at, at least as a writer, you can write by yourself. 
Yeah. Whereas, you yeah. know, actors can't act by themselves. That's crazy right. behavior. So when you start out with a script, do you start out with an outline, a vision? Do you have a method to your madness? How do you start an idea? <clears throat> That's a good question. Um, I usually, like, I'm a very, I'm a sitter. So I'll think of an idea and I'll sit on it for like a year before I actually, and I'll think, it, like, I will, because I, I, I don't, I'll think about all the things I don't like about it in my head and what things I do like about it. Then I'll get excited about it. And I'll just like kind of work it all out before I sit down and write anything. And then like, I think I had this script going in my head for like five months before I sat down and like actually outlined it. And then what I'll do is after I, I think I, after I think I have a story in my head, I'll sit down and I'll outline it. Like, and I don't do a big outline because I think I've already like, re like worked so much stuff out that I'm, I'm excited to write. So then I'll, uh, I'll um I'll do like a these are my characters and I'll give a brief brief synopsis on the characters I'll give a synopsis on my story then I'll do like the structure the three act structure for a screenplay and I'll look at the tentpole scenes I'm supposed to have for like my character reversals and growth and all that and then I'll just do a brief like I want this to happen I want this to happen I want this to happen then I'll just go yeah and usually usually it's a long process because I'll I'll notice around like 30 pages in like I didn't plan enough <laughs> and I'll go so I'll go back like 15 pages and rewrite 15 pages and then like go in 10 more pages and I do that for like a couple months going back and forth until I, I feel like I I have an actual full story fleshed out and then it goes to friends and stuff do you have a set person that you always send your script to first oh yeah yeah I had, I had a writing partner for a long time in New York and we stopped writing together just because we got busy and have kids and, and things like that and he usually sees it first gives me a bunch of nice notes because he's a nice guy and I take his nice notes and I, I incorporate that and make the script better and then I have another friend who does really harsh notes and oh you really did give he gives nice notes that wasn't yeah me yeah because I need the nice notes first to get to the hard to notes like, oh, yeah to feel better about it and then I give it to the friend with hard notes and I know they're going to come back and they're going to be harsh and I'm like okay so there's some real problems here um, and then you know and then after that I'll try to I'll try to find people outside of my friendship group that uh that you know maybe interested in it and see what they had to think about it wow. usually if they all have the same note then i'll, I'll change something mm, okay after this film what's next like are you already like workshopping the next idea in your head i have an idea but i'm not it's nowhere near being ready to, to write i'm so focused on and i this is the first year i haven't written anything in a long time because i'm so focused on getting this produced and this made that i just don't have the bandwidth to write anything right now, but I do have an idea based in, well, I grew up in Arizona, so I have an idea that's an Arizona-based screenplay I would love to write, but I'd have to like license book rights and all this stuff. <laughs> like I haven't done that before. Um, so I, I will cross that bridge after I get Love Dogs made. All right. Last question that I ask everybody on the podcast is what is one thing you wish you could go back and tell your younger self? Oh man. Um... Don't be so hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. You're eventually you're gonna you're gonna get we're gonna get eventually. You know, I feel like I feel like when I was younger I was in a rush. Uh, you know, um, and then I was very hard on myself later in life when I was like, how did I end up not making movies? That's crazy. And you know, and then here I am like, ah, I'm gonna make one anyway. So um, if there's a will, there's a way. Um, just stick it out. It could be 10 years, it could be 15, you could be 40. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Well, I wish you. All the best of luck with Love Dogs, and I hope that it gets just such a warm welcome with festivals and its future streaming home and 
I look forward to seeing where it goes and where you go next on the next project. But thank you so much for sharing your time with us now. Thank you. This has been awesome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening and being the absolute best part of our creative community. Thank you to my fabulous guests today. If you'd like to learn more about them, please check them out in the show notes. And please join us on Instagram and TikTok at What's My Frame. I'm Laura Linda Bradley. Thanks for listening. 